Hi, Ear Polygamy listeners. It's Lindsay Hanson Park, host of the Ear Polygamy podcast. Before we get started on this episode, I just need to make an apology. I'm really cranky about the audio. I had some audio issues with my mic this time, so forgive me. Bear with it. it it's well worth the listen. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Year Podcast. I'm your host, Lindsay, and today we're doing a special holiday episode since I'm in the United States and we get into what we call the holidays, which are Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's. And uh, of course, those are the Christian holidays that I celebrate. One of the most common questions that I get asked has to do with the FLDS, the group run by Warren Jeffs, and how they celebrate holidays. There are all kinds of different rumors flying around about, do they celebrate holidays? Do they not celebrate holidays? And the short answer is, no, they don't celebrate holidays. Warren Jeffs got rid of holidays for the group several years ago. And so now we have a whole generation of children who have grown up without celebrating any holidays. And as the group is splitting up and fracturing and the leadership is all getting captured and being put in prison, people are coming out and they're celebrating Christmas for the first time ever. And it's sort of disorienting for people who have never even experienced this or been taught that it's wicked their whole lives. So we're going to do a series of interviews today, three short interviews, where we talk about the holidays in Short Creek. Roy Jeffs, the son of Warren Jeffs, is going to talk about sort of the history. It's not a comprehensive history by any means, but hopefully it'll be a helpful 101 to understand what's going on with this group. And then we're going to talk to Alina Darger, who is with Cherished Families, and about what they do to help this situation with the holidays and how you can help support families in Short Creek experience their first Christmas ever. And then an interview with Buffy Jessup, who is out of the FLDS and experienced Christmas for the first time last year. So hopefully you'll enjoy these three episodes on holidays with FLDS. Today we have my good friend Leroy Jeffs back for another. Leroy, can you say hello? Hello, everyone. I just called you Leroy because that's what your screen says, but I call you Roy in real life. Which one do you prefer? <laughs> do I sound Leroy. more formal when I call you Leroy? Yeah, that sounds weird. I don't like that. <laughs> All right, I'm going to keep doing it then. So. <laughs> Uh, Roy is here to help me cover some history. We wanted to talk about some of the holidays in the FLDS. Now, now again, for the unseasoned listener, when we talk about the FLDS, the FLDS is a very specific group of fundamentalists. Not all Mormon fundamentalists are the FLDS, and not all FLDS are different Mormon fundamentalists. Because FLDS does have fundamentalist Latter-day Saints in their name, People think that there are LDS people and FLDS, and that's it. The FLDS that we're talking about today are specifically people that are currently controlled by their prophet, Warren Jeffs, who happens to be Roy's father. And we've had Roy on before, and you can listen to his interview. But, Roy, I wanted to talk about the history of holidays in your group. Because a lot of people don't realize that they don't celebrate holidays, any holidays now, but that wasn't always the case. But you and I were talking about this, and I I thought it was Warren. Somewhere in my head, I thought it was Warren Jeffs that got rid of Christmas. 
but that's not true. So let's talk about holidays, uh, how it used to be uncle under uh, uncle Roy and, and then how it sort of shifted. Where do you want to start? Uh, we can just, we can start with, um, how it was under uncle Roy. Okay. From, from what I it. understand. Well, so, I mean, Uncle Roy supposedly was, like, trying to, from what my dad was teaching or telling us, he was trying to get everyone to gradually come away from the traditions of the world. So I think it was, like, in the 1950s where they kind of stopped celebrating Christmas um, with, with Uncle Roy, and... I think people still did it in town, you know, between the 50s and the 80s. But the 80s was, you know, after the, the split where they had the Mary and Hammond and now the Timson and them split off and went out to Centennial. That was kind of the, the I don't know, the nail in the coffin for Christmas celebrations, I guess. Like, after that, at least from my understanding, after that is when, or, or when they split off is when, you know, there was no more, you know, pretty much guaranteed there was no more Christmas celebration, um, in town. But I mean, it started back in the fifties of, you know, considering it a, a Gentile tradition, you know, we, we believed because, um, what Joseph Smith said, uh, that, that Jesus was born on April 6th, that the world had it wrong. And so, um, it was, it was, a, that was why, that's why we thought it was a worldly tradition to celebrate Christmas. So they took issue with the day, not necessarily the way it was celebrated, because it's odd because Christmas is supposed to be one of like the biggest Christian holidays of the year. Well, I mean, yeah, well, we took, I guess we took issue with both was also, I mean, cause, and, and that was something my dad really put in place. My dad basically started having us fast on April 6th. Um, before that, it wasn't just, I mean, April 6th was April 6th. That wasn't really a day of celebration. So we, we, I guess we took issue with the fact that Santa Claus was in there. You know, the Santa Claus was integrated into the whole, um, holiday or whatever. And also just like the, the commercialization of it, all of that stuff. It was basically in a weird way. We thought it was, you know, somehow disrespectful to the savior to, you know, to celebrate like that. You were supposed to, at least from the perspective that my dad taught us, you were supposed to like, you know, um, it was almost supposed to be like a Sunday or a Sabbath or something, you know, because it was like a special day. When I picture no Christmas, I picture them just going on throughout the day and not realizing what day it is, but that wasn't true. You guys were aware that it was happening, and it seems like a lot of you, even though you knew you weren't supposed to enjoy it, enjoyed the sort of feel when you were out in public. You enjoyed the Christmas lights and the decorations and the feeling of it. Is that accurate to say? To some degree. I mean, because a lot of us were, like, really locked down. So, yeah, we didn't, we didn't give it the time of day. 
you know, and for me personally, it wasn't until like I was sent out to work and I was out on like a job site and the whole job site was dead. And I was like, what, you know, what day is it? And be like, oh yeah, it's Christmas Eve and Christmas. And so that's why everybody went home. But usually that meant, you know, we would go work longer hours. I mean, I, I, I liked it for sure. I liked, um, the, for some reason, you know, the, the, the decorations and the Christmas music, you know, in every store we walked in and stuff. But that was only after I, you know, had been sent away to work to where I was able to kind of experience it out here a little bit just from like visual observation and stuff. But before that, when you're like locked in the compound, then, you know, you'd, you don't even give it a second thought because two days before Christmas is Joseph Smith's birthday. And then after that, it's just like, you know, nothing special. So, so what holidays did you celebrate growing up before? Let's talk about before your dad changed it. So before my dad changed it, it was, we would do, basically we would do uncle Roy's birthday, uncle Fred's birthday. I'd sometimes do my grandpa's birthday, but we definitely did July 4th and July 24th. And then we did Harvest Festival, which usually lasted three days. And those were, those were kind of the, the main, main ones we did. Like July 24th was, you know, almost considered a, I mean, I guess both July 4th and 24th were considered in a weird way, like religious to us just because you know, we figured that without, you know, like this country being formed, we as a religion couldn't exist. And, um, obviously July 24th was like a huge, like admiration of Brigham Young and the pioneers. Um, so those were the ones we, we celebrated before, um, my dad took over. But, um, so what did yeah. you do? Walk us through some of the like things, the ways that FLDS would celebrate Harvest Festival. We've talked about that on the podcast a little bit, but explain to people what Harvest Festival is, and then we'll talk about the patriotic holidays. So the Harvest Festival, um, I mean, I guess is kind of self-explanatory by the name. Um, it was basically to celebrate the harvest, I guess, but it more felt like just, you know, the kind of the biggest party that we had in town. <laughs> um, because like we would look forward to that one over, you know, July 4th and 24th and all that. I thought Harvest Festival was way cooler because, you know, there were a lot more booths open with, you know, candy and toys and, um, a lot of different things like that. But also, you know, there was, there was, the, we were, I was part of like the marching boys that did basically it was kind of a mock army, I guess you could say. I mean, it was nothing close to an army, but just it was like we would form in platoons and um, we had our chants. Give me a chant. Things. And basically we would. So what would you it chant? Was like Uncle Rude. It was like Uncle Rude and Sons of Healing. Something like that. <laughs> Okay. Like left, 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 right, left. 
Sons of Helium. Did you? How did you feel when you did that? Did you feel? Was it fun? Oh, we we felt like we were the stuff. I love it. Yeah, my me and my brothers were all in the first platoon, so we were right up front there, where we could just like soak in all the, I don't know, pride or something. Okay, keep going. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I think that's great. No, so basically. With, I'm trying to, I'm trying to remember because we had basically what what we would start with is base is the marching boys would have to get up at like 4 a.m. We have to go out to the meeting house and practice before the service, and then they would have the service instead of having it inside the meeting house, they would have it out on the um, either the north or south side of it, and. And then they had a flagpole out there and they would, they had like a, a, a makeshift cannon, but it actually, it, it used actual cannonballs, um, from what I understand. But, and basically they were, they would play the national anthem. And then as the flag was going up, they would fire the cannon, um, which was extremely loud and made everybody jump. But, and then like we would be doing our, we had a whole procession, um, where we would march in front of everybody and then we would march from the, we would march from the meeting house to the park and then we would disperse. Um, so it was just kind of a, a formal, like, I don't know, marching. We're basically trying to put on a show for the prophet kind of thing, or, or as some sort of, you know, soldier of the prophet was kind of the gist of it. But um, that was kind of the, basically, and then after that, it was just like a lot of playing games and eating food for the rest of the day. Yeah, that sounds that sounds fun. I mean, everyone that I've talked to really have good memories with this. Yeah. Yeah. The Harvest Vest was, I mean, it was probably like the most looked forward to day in, in town. Like we, we love the Harvest Festival and like it was considered like a big honor to be part of the, the marching boys. And they also had like the, they had, <laughs> so there was the marching boys, the normal marching boys. And then there was the honor part. So with the marching boys, we actually had like, like a full, you know, like, uh, uniforms and, you know, we had like, I think we had like a badge that says something, you know, Uncle Rule and Sons or something. And then we'd have our different ranks and, you know, you had to be there for so many years in order to be, get, you know, get promoted and stuff like that. But then there was also the honor guard which was basically the best marchers out of the whole marching boys. And it usually the little people that were a little bit older. I sure really that it <laughs> marching. <laughs> so but I never got to be in the honor guard, but I got to be in the first book there. But yeah, it was just like basically you had to be eight years older and so when I turned eight, I think I was eight. Eight to 12-year-olds. Yeah, that's really fun. Uh, sounds kind of funny. Sounds kind of fun to <laughs> Explain to me what would everyone else do? What would the women do? 
everybody just like stand and watch. Like, and then for the July 4th and 24th, they would do it for one or the other, they would do the parade. But basically, watch, as you know, basically we would, while well, we're marching from the meeting house to the, they would stand and watch and then they would follow us. The, like the whole crowd of people would follow us walking from the meeting house to the park. Um, so we were just kind of like start the procession, I guess. What did you do for the 4th of July and 24th of July? So it was kind of the same thing where we would just, where we would do the, do the service, you know, so they would incorporate raising the flag with my dad talking and, you know, just Uncle Fred talking and maybe one of the Bartle boys talking. And then they do the whole procession, raise the flag, fire the cannon. We would, and when they raised the flag, they actually had like actual veterans, um, that, that, uh, like would, would march the flag to the flagpole and raise the flag. It was like people that went to Vietnam, um, kind of actual veteran, veterans do that. But, um, so it was just kind of the same, same ritual, or I don't know if you call it a ritual, but the same thing where you, you know, do the service, raise the flag, shoot the cannon, and then we, you know, march, march from the meeting house to the park and then disperse and, and each, each holiday kind of had a theme. I'm trying to, I think Uncle Fred's birthday was, maybe it was, no, Uncle Roy's birthday was watermelon. Uncle Fred's birthday was strawberries, I think. So on, on Uncle Fred's birthday, which was the, one of the other holidays, we would do somewhat of the same thing. And it was just like tons of stuff with strawberries. And then on Uncle Roy's birthday, it was tons of stuff with watermelon. But the, the patriotic holidays that like that's pretty much all it was was the procession and then go to the park and like, eat breakfast or something. They didn't have like a full day of activity. That's, that's fascinating. So it seems like the whole town got involved and you found ways to incorporate the profits. So walk us through what happens. Why, why did that change? What was your grandfather, Rulin's attitude about these holidays? And then uh, finally, how, how did your dad feel? Well, so my grandpa, I mean, he was... Like, I, I'm really, like, I'm really rethinking a lot of what he actually wanted and didn't want because it was hard to tell. He's always completely quiet, never said a word. So, you know, I'm not sure what, which of, you know, what part of it he wanted and what part of it was what my dad wanted. But from my, from what I gathered, what it seemed like to me, my grandpa, he really liked that we had the holidays, you know, the different community days like that, because in his mind, you know, it was, it was a, you know, where the community get together, you know, you know, enjoy each other's company. And, um, it was, it was, you know, I don't know, almost a uniting, you know, in a, in a sense, but, 
So he, and he was, he was very much like he let Uncle Fred run the town basically. And so whatever Uncle Fred wanted to do, he was, you know, cool with, I guess is kind of how it went. My Uncle Fred did work projects and all of that. So my grandpa seemed to, you know, with it and it just because of kind of a, you know, community event, we get together and, um, you know, enjoy and, and some family. And, you know, my, my grandpa would always like sit in the parade and, you know, or sit on the sidelines in the parade and watch, you know, so he, he seemed to like it quite a bit. But my dad, when my dad came along, you know, we had, I think we had a harvest festival. We had a, Uncle Fred's birthday and then Uncle Roy's birthday. And Uncle Roy's birthday was the last one that we, the last community, like, you know, day event, I guess, that we had because that was the one where they, they made a monument to Uncle Roy and my dad got mad and said they gave too much glory to Uncle Roy and not not enough glory to God. I mean, my dad just basically said any any sort of holiday is, you know, a worldly tradition. We need to, that we, you know, we need to get rid of that. And he got rid of that. He got rid of games like dodgeball and stuff, you know. So it was, it was that it, at the same at the same time. That's kind of where he got started. Just saying any any kind of fun is worldly but that was just like the very beginning stages of that whole process um and it was just like uh, i mean the the monument of Roy was really the tipping point but um i mean it was like like even before that even before my grandpa died like on a july 4th or something like usually they would have hot dogs for lunch at the park and my dad would be like, oh, let's just come home and we'll just eat together, you know, as our own family and not, you know, socialize with anybody else. Because for some reason that's bad. Um, so we would, we would usually just go home. But I, I mean, he, he basically, it, it was just, he, I don't know. I, I like trying to understand his mentality of getting rid of holidays is really, I mean, it only played into basically making his ability to um, micromanage everything. It only played into that, I think, quite a bit. But um, it was just, I don't know, I guess one step of many steps that he took. I want to know how the town responded to it. I mean... It sounds like it was gradual enough that some people went for it, but if people had valued and put so much effort into these holidays, what was that like when it disappeared? It was, I don't know, it was almost like a, I mean, like, you'd just be like, oh, it was July, you know, 4th or 24th or whatever, and not you know doing anything so it was even basically i think it more than anything it just kind of fed into and because my dad actually did use you know taking away the holidays and stuff like that 
as a form of punishment because he took away meetings around the same time, around the same time. And so he used that as a form of punishment. So I think more than anything, it would just, most people would just be like, you know, there's something wrong with us as a people. That's why we couldn't get together today and celebrate. But also, it's like, you know, he would tell us as a family that, you know, it was the tradition of the world and we needed to not do that. So, so you're saying that he would tell the people yeah. that, that they weren't righteous enough and then at home he would yeah, tell you guys that it's not that, it's just that it's worldly. Yeah, well, it was it was done both, but as far as like the holidays were concerned, it was more their their worldly. Um, but it was with the with the people, it was I, I guess a little bit kind of the same thing, but it was mostly um, together as a group because you know you you've turned against or you haven't turned against God, but you've offended God and, you know, you can't have, you know, general meetings and stuff like that either. So, um, it was a little, a mixture of both, I guess. Okay. So, um, tell me about basically your personal experience with it. What was it like when you had your first Christmas, um, when you were out, what, and basically some of your first holidays that you've had and what that, what that's like experiencing that as an adult now. I mean, for me, it's like my, my first Christmas, I think I landed with a random family over because they found out that I didn't have anywhere to go. Um, but so I don't know. It was kind of a weird, um, and I've, I mean, I don't know. For me, it more than anything, like, I see everybody around me that is enjoying it as a, as like a family event. It's how families together and enjoying each other's company and kind of cherishing. And so for me, more than anything, it's almost a, a face. Like probably with a lot of people that have been estranged, you know, with the probably like LGBTQ community and stuff that it's where it's, it's in a, in a weird way, it's more, a little more painful, I guess, just because like, like, like the biggest thing on my mind all day was my mom. So it's just like, it's, for me, it's just like I can see everybody around having, you know, family. And so it's just, you know, it, it, I, for me, it, it usually makes me miss my, my mom quite a bit. For you, it's and, a reminder um, that your family's not my, with you. Yeah. Yeah. Usually. <laughs> Okay, well, uh, do you think there's anything as we get into the this episode where we're going to share some stories about Christmas and ways that people can help with Christmas? Is there anything else that you think that people should know about it? I just want to sort of paint the picture of what it's like because for someone like me who's grown up with Christmas is just part of your like American DNA. It's just part of our celebration. It's just, I mean, it, we set our calendars around it. And I mean, our school system is is coordinated with it and all of these things. It's, 
so strange to think about an entire community of people who don't experience it, and then you're sort of thrown into the hot water of it as an adult when you're out of your group. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, for me, it's, I mean, it's, it's the way it is with, like, 90% of the holidays. Like, I really don't care that much just because we never did. We grew up never caring that much, and the holidays we did care about, my dad got rid of. So kind of lost that emotional connection, or at least I did, um, because, you know, I was, I was a young kid, and so I kind of lost um, with those. But also, like, I mean, just like Halloween and, you know, Thanksgiving and most of them, I'm just like, you know, I'm not like super excited about them. Um, I mean, Thanksgiving, I am, because the food's delicious. But, I mean, honey baked ham. But, <laughs> Roy did have his first honey baked ham this year, so it's like the big. It's pretty great. It's pretty great. For those who don't know, it's an American company. I don't know if it's around the world, but it's like how you pay. An insane yeah. amount for a ham that tastes like candy. Yeah. It's delicious. Welcome to the way um, that the outside world celebrates holidays, Roy, and that's with capitalism. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for me, it's just holidays are, I'm, you know, like, I, I, I do holidays, I guess, but it's like they're not... You know, if I didn't do holidays, it wouldn't be any different to me. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, thank you for coming on and explaining the history of some of the holidays in Short Creek. I think a lot of people don't know. Okay, well, thanks for coming on again. I'll probably rope you into another one down the road for something, so. (laughs) Okay, sounds good. Okay, with me I have Alina Darker. Can you say hello? Hi. Okay, will you tell us who you are and just a little bit about yourself before we get started? Yeah, so I am the director of Cherished Families and we are a nonprofit organization and we serve people, uh, our biggest percentage of people we serve are from uh, plural families and plural communities. Okay, so tell us, tell us, Cherish Families, where are you headquartered and why did you start? So we, we have a couple of offices. We have an office in Salt Lake, one in St. George, Utah, and uh, one in Colorado City, Arizona. And we kind of got our start as a grassroots community organization. When we first started Cherish Families, um, we had a lot of people coming from the FLDS that had either been kicked out or um, that needed some help and they'd kind of find our family and ask us or we had people just from different plural families and different groups that would need help accessing services and they didn't always feel safe. Say they had an interaction with um, DCFS and they didn't feel safe. One family in particular really got us thinking they had a 
a situation in their family where they had one son that abused another daughter and they really wanted to get help, but they were afraid of ending up in the media and not knowing where to go and who they could trust. And so there have just been a lot of instances that have happened that we've realized that we needed a social service agency that people felt like they really could trust and people could talk to and say, hey, I'm from a plural family and I need some help. And that really just got us up and running. And we had members from what their needs were and what they felt like they needed in their communities. And we just got a start that way in 2013. So a lot of people think that uh, when they're helping people from these communities, that the help that they need is to be rescued from polygamy. But that's not always the case. Like I've brought up on this podcast before, many people enjoy their plural families. They love their multiple mothers. They love all of their siblings. But like you said, when they need help, that is the first thing that everyone thinks of. Oh, it must be polygamy. Let's rescue them from polygamy. And your organization doesn't do that. It just offers them services and doesn't judge their family situation, correct? Exactly. So it doesn't matter to, to cherish families. We're not a religious organization and we're not pro-polygamy. Uh, we're a service and advocacy organization. So it doesn't matter to us where somebody's at, whether they um, still believe in polygamy, whether they're Mormon, whether they're atheists, whether they're Catholic, if they come and request services, we do the best we can to find a way to, to give services as needed. Perfect. So that leads us into this Christmas project. Will you explain to us what it is? And then let's talk about, if you can, give us a little history of Christmas in the community of Short Creek. Well, and I didn't grow up in Short Creek, so I wasn't born and raised there. I, however, I did know people and have friends And um, when, when I was younger. And for Christmas, they did a lot of different things, not your traditional celebration of the birth of Christ, because that's not where uh, most fundamentalists believe that Christ was born. But it was a, more of a celebration of family and um, family being close in activities. And so um, for a lot of plural families, I think that's what it is. And it's a time to really remember and be grateful and spend time with family. I think that that's what kind of transfers to what we're doing right now with this event. The main reasons that we wanted to do this event were, well, there are actually several reasons. One is um, a lot of the families that we are working with and the women, the mothers, even the fathers, the single parents, they're, when they left the FLDS and they've lost everything, it takes some time and they're just getting back on their feet. They're getting their bills paid. They're getting jobs done and they decide they want to, to do Christmas. But a lot of times this sets families back, the financial burden of it, and they're just getting everything rolling. And we really wanted to make this time of year a positive, fun family thing without having families that are really just getting on their feet get set back by that. And um, so that was one of the big reasons we wanted to do it. And then another reason was that how they how families used to celebrate say before Warren Jeffs came along uh, they had a lot of different traditions that bound them together but as things got stricter I guess you could say then a lot of the celebrations and the things that they they did that drew their families closer were not allowed anymore and so rebuilding those traditions and um, a lot of the things on our wish list are board games things that bring the family together to do together. And 
building these new family traditions, whether it's, you know, making Christmas cookies together, coming to the craft fair. And that's a lot of what we're doing for the kids um, on the craft fair that we're having. We'll have a photo booth and all kinds of booths to decorate cookies and make picture frames and just memory building things that families can do to bring them together and also that communities can do together. So we just interviewed Buffy Jessup and she's going to be played after your portion where she's, she was a recipient of the Christmas uh, project last year. It was her first Christmas in many, many years. And it was certainly the first Christmas for her teenage children. And she talks about it and it's really great. So we're going to, um, share that, but do you have any success stories or stories you want to share of people who have experienced this or maybe people, you know, who have never had Christmas before? Yeah, there are a couple of families that will be serving this year that have never had Christmas. And for we've done this for four years in a row, just in different formats, whether that is just uh, dropping off a bunch of presents on the porch and for the first Christmas. And it was so fun the first year that we did it. One of the families sent us video of their children open up the presents for the first time. And they were just having such a blast. And it wasn't even so much about the gifts, but it was about what they were doing as a family. And they were laughing and sharing and really just getting to know what each other, you know, what their interests were and what they liked about it. And it was so amazing. This video uh, was so fun. It was one girl in particular had asked for a set of horses. And we found this really great horse set. And she opened it and then she laid on the floor and like kicked her arms and legs and screamed. And it was so cute. It was just so fun to watch the families really come together. And something that's really is interesting we've been finding year after year is uh, a lot of the things are basic needs like clothing, shoes, sheets, space heaters, shower curtains, things that you wouldn't you know, find on an average list. And then last year, the teenagers said their favorite gifts were like the duffel bags that they had full of snacks and treats and the food items and the warm gloves and coats. And so a lot of it is basic needs, clothing. Yeah. And so what we're doing here on, we're going to have a document or a, or sorry, a blog post that I'm linking on this podcast episode. So go to yearpointme.com for this episode and you can find the blog post that has a form where we are teaming up with a bunch of different subreddits, probably five or six who are helping fill the document here with the things you just mentioned and people can sign up. How are some other ways that people can help? Uh, we've had a lot of requests and this is something that we, as we're doing the Christmas dinner and at the, the craft festival, we do these raffles, but, one of the things that we know that the parents are saying that they want and need are like fuel cards or Walmart cards or gift cards. And the first year it was really fun because we had a family that asked for like Ross gift cards and clothing store gift cards for the mothers and their teenage girls. And they were just in the process of getting new clothing and then, they called and asked me and my daughter to go shopping with them after Christmas to help them, you know, pick out something. They're like, we don't know what to pick and we don't know what we like. But it was a really fun experience because, you know, the moms and the girls shopping together. So gift cards are always just a great idea. We did some date nights for 
um, the parents of families getting back together with restaurant gift cards. And so there's, um, that's a really great idea, uh, for other things to do. And then of course, like we were talking about snack foods and always warm gloves and hats and coats, um, are always in need. Okay. And, and I'm going to link to Cherish Families as well. And on your site, you have a button on the top right where people can donate, which is something that you can do as well. And then uh, the other thing I was going to mention is we've also been helping since this project started for the last four years. And we were doing it with my foundation, the Fern Foundation. But Fern is keeping our projects to our service projects in April and October. So uh, we just felt it was better to assist organizations already doing it like like you guys. So we have found that different church groups and youth groups are really enjoying taking this on as a service project. We had one gentleman, one listener, who donated about 50 remote control helicopters one year. And the Pugsley family just did like 50 gifts for men last year. A lot of people are just finding that it's really fun. So if you can't do that this year... Plan on it for next year. You can help out Cherish Families. I assume you guys are going to be doing this every year. Yeah, we're planning on it. It's been really great. So, yeah, this is a great way for you to do some sort of group or community service project. If you have a group of people you know that really wants to do something special for Christmas, contact Cherish Families um, probably in January and start setting it up. And then it can be something you do next year, and you can even go down and be part of the celebration if you'd like. Yeah, that's right. We would love to have people come and volunteer and celebrate and help us out and it's going to be a really fun event and our our hope is to just continue to um build community and build families and however they're structured it's sometimes it's two parents often it's a single parent and um we've just had our our criteria based first on you know single parents um, people with disabilities those who recently lost a job we have a family that uh they're their father just passed away um, recently, and we're we're planning on uh, serving about 40 families this year. Well, that's perfect. Thank you, friend. Thanks so much for coming on, and we'll make sure we link. And is there anything else you want people to know? I think just to know that the difference that's being made in the lives of children and in the lives of family, and when people that have separated themselves from quote the world see this outpouring of love it's healing and it really opens something up and people in this community are becoming empowered this isn't a like a handout for people this is people becoming empowered setting goals and moving forward and that just makes a difference that that you just don't know the impact and I would just back up everything you said. I've seen it personally. It's been one of the most enriching experiences in my life just to be able to walk with people and, and get to witness this. So thank you for being one of those people that is really, I mean, I don't think people understand how much the Darger family has helped this town. So just thank you on behalf of my friends down in the creek too. Yeah, well, and we love them and they're our friends. So I'm so glad to be part of it. Buffy Dessup. I am a single mom in Hilldale. 
Okay, so where did so you grew up? Where were you born? I was born and raised here in the FLDS community of Hilldale, Colorado City. And uh, have you grown up there your whole life? Well, I spent my childhood here. Yes, I lived here probably until I was about twenty nine, thirty, maybe. Grew up in the FLDS. Very faithful member. Did you get married? Yes. You lived under the rule of Warren Jefferson Tell about how long ago? Probably in about 1005, <laughs> we were sent away. So were you sent away to repent? Yes. Okay, and but you've only been out of the FLDS for how many years? It's fairly recent, right? Yeah, I think I ended up leaving around 2015, but it was like a slow process, and so... Finally, deciding to not be a part of that <laughs> was kind of, it was it was a journey. So let's explain to some people who are listening. So when you say sent away, that means that normally someone in your church, you know, has accused you of some sin and you need to leave the group to repent and they usually send you away from the group. So where were you sent to? The first time we were sent away, we were just to figure it out on our own. And we were sent away as a family. We went to New Harmony. And then I was invited. We were all invited back. But I was separated from the family by the church. And lived here in Hilldale for a few years. And then I was sent away to Nebraska. So why, how come it took almost 10 years for you to be sent away to sort of lose your faith in the leadership? Well, thing is, it wasn't a mess like it is now when I was a kid. The leadership was different. It was more loving. There were group activities that were awesome. I loved my childhood. I loved my religion. It was awesome. It, it only became unbearable in the last few years. So when it became unbearable, what was one of the things that was sort of the snapping point for you to know that you had to get out? I, it was a group effort, really. With me and my kids, I have two children, son and daughter, and she called me and said, Mom, I'm done, and so come and get me. <laughs> that was it. Okay, so for this project, we're explaining to um, the folks out there why this would be your first Christmas. So you're a grown woman with two adults who, you know, you've lived in America your whole life, but you've never really experienced Christmas until last year. Last year was your first Christmas. Can you explain to people why that is? Obviously, the first step is the FLDS do not celebrate Christmas, correct? Yeah, we don't believe that Christ was born in December. We believe that he was born in April. So we didn't do Christmas. But you didn't celebrate it in April either. No, and it was like we really didn't have a lot of holidays that we celebrated like that anyway. Christmas, I always loved the holiday because my parents were open-minded and they had relatives that weren't a part of the church. So we'd seen the decorations and all the stuff. We And I loved the season. <laughs> we would have presents for New Year's. So, and, and then when Warren started changing things, he, did he outlaw even those, those oh things? Oh yeah. No presents for, we didn't even really have birthdays after that either. 
It got really tight. No holidays. No. <sighs> yeah, it was for a long time. So what was that like experiencing it a little bit and then having it taken away? What did the, did the day pass? Did December 25th pass and you knew what it was? Or birthday passed and you knew what it was, but you knew you couldn't celebrate it? Yeah. So when you got out, tell us about the first Christmas, the first time you experienced Christmas, what that was like and sort of what this project means to you. It was really awesome because I actually had just moved and met with kind of a rough time. My job wasn't paying so great (laughs) and a few things fell through for me and so I didn't have a lot of money and so I got to be blessed by people who would who gave me the tree and a lot of the presents and the kids helped me decorate the tree it was just it was fun we made an edible tree (laughs) I melted candy and cookie cutters so the candy could be taken off the tree and eaten. <laughs> um, and we decorated cookies. We just had so much fun putting it all together. And I don't know, I just, I loved it. It's like a tradition that <laughs> I was thirsty for. Yeah, and what did you, what was it like for your kids? Were they excited? Because, so I'm assuming some of them had never even experienced Christmas at all, didn't did they even know what it was? No. In fact, when when my son was little, he uh, when he'd see pictures of Santa Claus, he'd say, "Look, there's a snowman." <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cute. Yeah. So, what was that like for them? How old were they when they got their first Christmas? She was fourteen. No, she was thirteen, and he was seventeen. Okay, and were they able to enjoy it and get in the spirit of things, even though it it was such a new thing for them? Yeah, it was. It was so much fun. It was the whole from start to finish, getting the tree and putting it up to unwrap putting the presents. It was just like I videoed it because it was just fun. <laughs> they loved it. They looked like little kids sitting by the Christmas tree. <laughs> oh, I love that. That's so great. Um. And you can see it in your face, just how how happy of a memory that is. I love it. So what does it mean for people? So tell the listeners out there, what does it mean for people to be able to experience Christmas for the first time? Because you've gone through so much. All of you that leave go through so much. And a lot of it is hard in its day-to-day drudgery. But what's it like to have something like this? It's actually really joyful because it's... It's not just a little thing in your own private house. It's the whole feeling across the nation, you know. <laughs> it, it's really fun. It's amazing. And, and I could feel it before. I left the FLDS before I, you know, ever could celebrate it. I love the feeling of Christmas. So it was still in the air even though you couldn't participate. Yeah. What are your plans this year for Christmas? Pretty much the same, just having a lot of family around me and <laughs> doing the cookie decorating and all the fun things. Um, Can you just, I'll let you go. This is going to be the last question, but walk through for our listeners what Christmas in Short Creek is, what this project is that they're going to be sending or donating to. How? What happens the morning? Where is it at? And what happens there? 
I don't know exactly what they have planned, but I just love the how it was last year because it was like just as much fun for the parents as it was for the kids. So they do it at some big. I think they're going to do it at the Bishop Storehouse this year. Is that right? Yeah, I think so. And so then you go, and they have a tree, and Santa comes, and all the families get a, everyone gets a gift. Is that right? At least one. <laughs> Last year there were several for each child. Yeah, and I we know the list. Do the Santa Claus. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> we didn't do the Santa Claus thing because she. Even though she was 14 or 13, she looked like she was 18, and she didn't think she should be sitting on Santa's lap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's the hard one when you when you are still a kid, but kind of still too old for that. That's a that's a very Christmas problem to deal with. So I'm glad you guys got to deal with that. Um, so you go and and do you have dinner or is it just cookies? I I know one year they did a lot of cookies. Well, they have the separate party for the parents and the kids. So the parents, the night before, go to a dinner, and they get to choose the presents for their children and and presents for themselves. <laughs> the parents for the, I mean, the presents for the children are open on the table, so, and then you take them home and wrap them. But the parent gifts are already wrapped, so you don't know what you're getting. <laughs> it was really fun. That sounds great. But the day of Chris, I mean, the day, the next morning, they have the children go in and sit on Santa's lap and eat cookies. Yeah, and that's just, it's so fun. The kids are so happy and everyone's kind and kids are sharing their gifts with other kids. It's lovely. Is there anything else before I leave you that you want people that are listening to know about you or about your town? The only thing that I've met with a lot is that people are scared to come to this town because it's got such a, I don't know, all the stories that you've heard and how scary it is or whatever. It's not a bad place. It's not scary. It really is awesome. Um, it's broken right now, but I think mostly it's pretty peaceful, a very happy place. I love living here. I only recently moved back a year ago. I've been there, going down there for five years now. When I first went, it was a little spooky to be followed and things like that. But now it's just wonderful and everybody is so kind. And they would take strangers from the street and put them in their house, you know, like overnight. Everyone is so friendly and trusting and lovely. So, yeah, <laughs> I definitely love living here. Okay, well, thanks for uh, coming on and telling us about your first Christmas. Thanks.